Joe Samniego on the Ben Schneider Show. Joe, it's great to be talking to you on a Monday. I know I don't usually get the chance to do that. I know you're uh, you're working and uh, I've only been on the Encore Show, I think, following the Portland race weekend on Labor Day. So how are you doing? Been great. Just been busy. Everything is really exciting with the Grid Network, life here in Portland, and just overall, very busy, very exciting 2023, I think, for everyone when it comes to motorsports and hopefully in general, too. I think in New Year, always that positive energy going forward. Well, this can be a nice kind of little icebreaker question here. One of the first things that I noticed when we first met was uh, we both have the number 53 in our social media handles. This is the 53rd episode of this show as well, so I figure there's no better guest to have on this episode than Joe Samniego. Tell me, where did the 53 come from in your handle, and what does that number mean uh, for you? It means quite a lot. I feel it really means especially where I felt like for me in college, I was sort of a transition. Prior to 53, growing up, big NASCAR fan. I was a fan of, you know, Harry Gantz, Sterling Martin, 33, the number four. I never saw myself as somebody like, someday I'm going to drive the number four Kodak Chevrolet, or I want to have that number after my favorite driver. So when NASCAR Racing by Papyrus came out and you could make your own car, I went with the number 84 the year I was born, 1984. Used down there with the 84 Pepsi, I believe it was a Ford just because it was the easiest template. And raced down NASCAR Racing 2, the number 84 again. The NASCAR Racing 3, that's when... I remember, okay, find these websites like the yellowflag.net, rubbinsracing.com, where you could download mods for NASCAR Racing 3. And somebody had made the 1995 33 Skull Bandit Chevy from Robert Presley, which really stood out. It wasn't a typical green body right roof, but it had more black. The number was at an angle. So I downloaded it, and I saw, well, there's already the number 33, Ken Schrader. I want to do something different. So just using the video game editor for the cards, I made the number three a number eight. So it was started at 38. Nobody was using the 38 at a time. I kept using Dan driving the number 38 Chevrolet. Then I'll post vehicles on nascarnet.com for downloads for NASCAR Racing 4, NASCAR Racing 2002, and then NASCAR Racing 2003. I still had the number 38, but Elliot Sadler was now Rumored later on he was going to leave the 21, go be with the 38. It's like, well, I guess I could go number 33. So I started doing that. But one of the things, I was in college at this time, and like any typical freshman college, you go there, have fun, maybe a little too much fun. And at the same time, I was driving race cars at the racetrack, Mitchell Raceway in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is only like 30 minutes away from campus. And one of the goofier stories when I first started painting, it was going to be the number 38. I painted the first three, and then somebody came by and painted it backwards. Oh, oops. So I painted another three the right way, and I was thinking, oh, I'll just make the 38, make it work. But then somebody was like, oh, is this a tribute for Dale Earnhardt? What? 3E? Sure, yeah. So we went with the 3E, my first year car racing in Fairbanks Mitchell Raceway. We won the biggest race. But it was like, well, this is only a one-year thing. I'm not going to keep the 3E the next year. Well, <laughs> I remember very clearly, I was thinking, okay, I'm losing money. I'm from the car racing, the partying in college. I need a job, and I was struggling. And I remember I was in the cafeteria with some friends. And one person was like, Joe, you're a good driver, right? And I was like, yeah, why? He gives me a business car, and there's a school bus on it. And I started laughing, like, there's no way on earth we're going to be driving a school bus full of kids, never dealt with kids, and something my parents didn't find out until my wedding day. At that time, I had zero points left in my life. So I've gotten speeding tickets after speeding ticket. So it was like, one more ticket, I'm going to lose my driver's license. There's no way I'm going to get this job. A couple weeks later, still no jobs. Like, fine, I'll call this company. Called them up. They sent me up with an interview. So I go there for an interview. I didn't overly dress up because, like, well, this is school bus driving. I answer all the questions. I even brought up, like, by the way, I drive race cars. Is that any concern if I'm going to be a school bus driver? Oh, no. Okay, great. And then I'll never forget Betty. She was the one interviewing me. It was like, okay, take this. Go here. You're going to get your physical. Go here. You're going to get your drug test. Come back Monday. You're going to do your training. Any questions? I'm thinking, you just hired me? And sure enough, I started a school bus drive. And that's where I got assigned to Route 
53, a school bus route that it was called a difficult route because it paid 25 cents more per hour, but you go up steep hills. So in the wintertime, you have to put the chains on the snow tires, all sorts of stuff. And I really got attached to those kids. And those kids seemed to really thought I was like the coolest person. I was 21 years old at the time, young bus driver. Had so much fun. And I'm still in touch with some of those kids. Now they're grown up, have their own kids, their own life, went to college. They thought it was so cool because, oh, you're going to college and everything. And that's when I started thinking, you know, maybe I'll switch from 38, 33 to 53. Nobody's using that NASCAR. And just really stuck. And it brings back a lot of good memories of, you know, I remember that's when it was like, okay, I'm focusing more on school. The work was a positive influence. A little less partying in college, more focus on school and graduated, but Overall, it's really meant a lot to me, the number 53 race did later on, of course, at Capitol Speedway in Willow, Alaska South. Did one more race in Fairbanks, Mitchell Raceway. But then when I finished um, stock car racing in Alaska, mainly the dirt tracks, I was like, well, if I ever go back racing or reinstall NASCAR race in 2003, I still got a little laptop after my desktop died. I'm going to paint up the number 53 again. And I don't know what sponsor this time. I've used... The one Harry Gant had, then I used some local ones. But now that I'm in Portland, I'll figure it out. Yeah, well, that's kind of similar to how uh, my connection with a number started, actually, through video games. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this story on this show before. I know I have on my socials. But um, growing up, I only had a Wii. Uh, so I was very excited when um, Activision New Technics took over the NASCAR video game licenses and um, ended up releasing a couple of games on the Wii, uh, NASCAR 2011, the game being the first one in the main series. I know there was like NASCAR kart racing before then and NASCAR Unleashed, uh, kind of part of that series as well. But uh, to finally have an actual full-on NASCAR game for the Wii was exciting. And I was very disappointed when I plugged in the Wii version and realized there was no paint booth. Uh, but in light of there being no paint booth, there was there was an option. Um, you could race as your own custom driver and custom name and everything. And the number that they assigned that custom car was 53. So I'd never had a, a Wii game that was NASCAR based before. I put hours upon hours into that game, even though looking back, it wasn't a very good product. Um, it wasn't a great product for the 360 or the, the Xbox 360 or, or the PS3 either. Um, but the Wii version especially was more limited in its features and everything. But I didn't care. I was just a middle school kid at the time who uh, was enjoying a NASCAR game on the Wii that we'd never had before. So I put hours and hours into that game. A number kind of stuck with me. And then, uh, you know, Alexander Rossi comes along. He makes his Formula One debut as the first American to race in F1 in quite some time. And he chose the number 53 in honor of Herbie. Uh, so even from there, uh, you know, just grew a greater affinity for that number when he started racing. Um, so it's kind of stuck with me as well. I have it in my social media handles. Um, ben is obviously my first name, Casey being my middle name. That's where the BC comes from. So uh, that kind of explains that. So it's a similar kind of deal for me, I guess, with uh, the video game connection that you have there. Yeah, the video game connection. Because I remember before, back when we had um, American Online and the AIM chat, of course, I was in the high school. I was a janitor growing up, so I had Janitor Joe 38. And then later on, I started using JP San Diego 53 when I switched. And I just feel like I remember the EA Sports games, they had that very limited paint booth compared to Papyrus, NASCAR racing. 53 was always a number available, thankfully. Other friends would use other numbers, but yeah, it's just, that's one of the things I know my wife, she saw Herbie painting with the number 53. She got that for me. Anytime there's a number out there, somebody with the number 53, that's one I'll be watching for, especially on a local track. And then just learning about, because it, it's something where you don't really see that number in motorsports a whole lot. We always see like the 28, the 12, the 3 even. But the 53 is very rare across motorsports. Yeah, well, I know Rick Ware brought it back uh, a couple of years ago. It looks like they've settled down to two-car teams, or two a two-car team now with the 15 and the 51. Uh, but they were using the number for a little while, and uh, I've seen it pop up a couple of times in Xfinity and Trucks as well. I think Brad Perez was actually just in the 53 this weekend at Coda, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, and I guess you do the same exact thing I do with my handle because you're uh, – Middle name is Peter, if I recall correctly, right? So Joe Peter's where the JP comes from. So just kind of interesting how uh, we we hadn't met before, but kind of had, uh, for all intents and purposes, the exact same social media handle. Uh, now we're working together at Grid, so it's it's uh, it's good to see. 
Yeah, it always makes me laugh too because when I see the old Lotus, the John Player special, it's like, oh, that's my initials there, JPS. Just add the 53, and that'd be a perfect logo if I was to have one for myself. <laughs> well, sticking on the personal note for a minute here, Joe, and then we can get into the racing stuff and uh, you know what we're trying to build here with grid and everything. Um, I've always been fascinated by uh, the state that you grew up in, which is Alaska. Um, you know, it's it's just it. I know it's very much a part of the United States. But at the same time, I feel like it's it's a completely different world in many respects. I think I've seen there's a there's a map out there where if you superimpose Alaska onto the continental United States and you take like the westernmost of the Aleutian Islands and, uh, you know, the the southeasternmost tip and the northernmost point, you go from Los Angeles to, you know, Florida, and then you still cross over the northern border uh, into Canada. So it, it just kind of gives you a, a sense of how massive uh, the state is, I think it's like two and a half times the size of Texas. So I've always kind of been fascinated by that part of our country. Um, you know, what, what are some of your memories from growing up and your time in Alaska? It's something where if I could write a book about it, I'm pretty sure it'll be just something very entertaining that folks will love. It's, it's such, like you said, a different, I almost call it different beast compared to everything else. Cause now that I settle here in Oregon, okay, a two hour, three hour drive to a this one particular spot, that's no big deal. That's nothing because, for example, when I was living in Anchorage and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was in Fairbanks, I would have to drive seven hours to go to Fairbanks to see her. And we're not talking about a three-lane interstate. Alaska doesn't have any interstate, just highways. You're talking about two-lane road going around mountains, snow plows and all this. And people will get seriously hurt or worse than that. And at one time, I remember, I actually um, snuck up to Fairbanks right in the middle of the night. I had my little Monster 3 with a CB radio. It was whiteout conditions, dark, pitch black, but just snow falling. You could barely see anything. I saw two semi-trucks pulled to the side of the road. So I stopped there and was like, hey, I got a CB. of one of you guys coming up? Yeah, I'm going to Fairbanks. Just stay in between the two tail lights. Follow me. You'll be good. So I just pretty much tailgated him for like the next three hours. If he had drove off a cliff, I would have drove off the cliff with him. But it was a big adventure. And that's the thing. Alaska, there's so many adventures, so many people when they come up. I always get annoyed when people, oh, there's nothing to do, especially if they're in Anchorage, the biggest city, which is about half the state population. It feels like a big city, but it doesn't have the modern amenities. Like we just got Dave and Buster just about 2017, right before we left. Some of the big chain shops. But um, there's so much to do outside. Like you could drive... Two and a half hours here in the tiny town of Seward. They got the Alaska Sea Life Center, Mount Marathon race. So if you're into cross-country running, this is the ultimate we run up a mountain, then back down a mountain on the 4th of July, the biggest event in Alaska all year. All the little towns are so unique with a lot of own personality. And getting to some of these towns were our adventure. I was a local government specialist before I became a city manager. So I would travel to a lot of these small villages. And it wasn't just up in the car, go to the next village. Most of the time it was, okay, you're getting this single propeller plane with two seats, the wind's blowing you around, or a little ferry boat to get to this next place. I loved the job because like, I'm seeing so much of Alaska that even more than I saw growing up because my parents, originally from Mexico, went to Anchorage, Alaska. Pretty much we stayed in Anchorage, some trips to the Matsu for like the state fair or the car races. But we weren't the kind of people that went camping or exploring so much where when I got to college, went to Fairbanks, that's when I started, okay, I want to go to the Arctic Circle. I want to go see all these villages around. And it's such an adventure. I always recommend folks go to Alaska. I know the cruise ship makes it very convenient, but you only see a small portion of Alaska. If you really want to go for adventure, save up, get a rental car. Yeah, the insurance is going to be very expensive because they know people go up there and crash all the time. But you're going to have so much fun, assuming you don't crash, going to all the small villages, seeing all the events and activities around. Because there are so many sites you don't see anywhere but unless you go out. I remember I used to drive a tour van from Fairbanks, Alaska, all the way to the Arctic Ocean, 14-hour drive. And that's just from the middle of the state to the top. So... You're talking seven hours down to Anchorage and another three. It's just so massive. And most of the state you can't get to by driving. You have to go on those little airplanes like I did for my job. 
but I've seen everything from mountain goats with their little baby goats on the side of the road. I've been on airplane rides where I'm just holding on thinking, okay, everything's all right. And it's like, turns out, oh, you're the last plane to make it because they canceled everything and we were afraid you weren't going to make it. I was like, I yelled something at me. I couldn't hear anything, so I just gave him a thumbs up. He just he could have told me, we're going down. I had no clue what he said, but it's a fun state. It's very hard, though, now that I'm out of Alaska, realizing how isolated it is. I'm planning to go up, see my dad for his 91st birthday. It's a three-hour flight, essentially from Seattle, the closest one. So if you're going from Portland, it's a little bit longer, L.A. even longer. Compared to my older siblings in Washington State, that's only a four-hour drive. And I know I keep saying only a four-hour. For some folks, that's a long weekend trip. But just being from Alaska, you're just so used to, oh, yeah, this is going to be a five-hour drive, seven-hour drive if you got good weather. But, yeah, summertime's very beautiful, especially if you like hiking, exploring, going in the woods, camping, all that. Not going to get a whole lot of darkness just because the way it works, almost sunny all the time, especially the further north barrow. Got three months of sun. You, the sun just circle around you. But then in the winter, you don't see the sun for three months. It's a little less intense further south. And the winter, the snow. But the northern lights, that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience I think everyone should experience. Going to Fairbanks, the hotels do a good job of the northern lights and out. They'll call your room, no matter if it's 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., tell you the northern lights are out, go check it out. You'll just see people all bundled up with their pajamas and their big coats trying to stay warm because it's like 50 below outside, and but they're just enjoying it. And it's a fun experience, and I'm more than happy to tell family or friends that are going up, like, check this place out, go here, especially Alaska Raceway Park. I got to work there. That was, that was one of my favorite jobs, and the boss there, actually, she goes by um, Bad Lady 53. Her number is 53 as well, too, because her and her dad put together a restoration of a 53 Chevrolet. So everyone in Alaska Raceway Park, definitely say hi to Michelle. You know, I went to college in the New England area, so I'm I'm very much used to the six, six and a half hour drives back to my home in, in Delaware. Um, I think the fastest I ever made it back was a little more than five and a half hours. I left uh, after a cross-country or track practice. Uh, and, and was able to make it home, uh, you know, after sunset and uh, basically had no traffic to deal with, only had to make one stop for gas. So, um, you know, I've, I've certainly, having made that drive over my time being a college student and, uh, you know, with me, uh, you know, going to be moving back up there shortly to start uh, my new job uh, back in the area on campus. Um, you know, I've, I've certainly uh, used to those long car rides and now, um, you know, a, a two hour uh, drive to, you know, New York or, uh you know, uh, DC, I guess two, two and a half hours, um, doesn't seem quite as long as it, it did when I was a kid. So, um, you know, I think you do those commutes long enough. Um, you, uh, you'll, you'll get used to it. And I can certainly understand, uh, a place like Alaska, you know, you, you having to do, uh, that, that kind of driving on a, on a regular basis there. Yeah. On a regular basis, making that drive. And like I mentioned, the conditions one year, I remember it was my freshman year, my roommate and I, we were going from Fairbanks to Talkeetna. I think that's about four hours good weather. I remember we're driving down. He calls his buddy in Talkeetna. Oh, yeah, I heard something. There might be a snowstorm in the past. I'm thinking, whatever. It's clear. It's dark. It's winter. We get to the pass. It's blinded. I can't see anything. I just remember he's looking out the side window. He's like, guardrail, guardrail, guardrail. And Jay turned. We need to take a break at this gas station. It's such whiteout conditions. We only see the glow of the gas station. And I'm like, well... Two things will happen. One, we'll get in because I found the driveway. Two, we go in the ditch, then we just run in the gas station. And thankfully, we didn't go in the ditch, but we just then chilled there for a little while. There was one lady there that we just chatted with for like an hour and a half. And then when things started to clear up, we did the drive to Talkeetna. But it was just like, that was a long drive, but that was an adventure. And it, those kind of memories I'll always treasure. My time in UAF, the bonfire parties along the river. All the adventures, it's something where I grew up in Anchorage. I didn't want to stay in Anchorage, just have the same surrounding, go somewhere different. University of Alaska Fairbanks, once they were making it clear, like, we're not going to work with your work schedule. You're going to have to quit bus driving. It was like, well, I'm going to go somewhere really random, different. And University of South Carolina, 
accepted me, and that's where I graduated from. So it's a huge adventure, and I'll always treasure it and looking forward to any re reason to go back. Yeah, well, on that note, I guess you kind of touched on it. Obviously, you're in the uh, Portland, Oregon area now, went to college in South Carolina. So how did you end up in Oregon rather than going back home uh, to Alaska after you graduated? Well, my first year in South Carolina, I completed that as a transfer student. I went back to Fairbanks, and that's where I started driving for that tour company. But actually, it was funny because the tour company was like, oh, yeah, you'll be one of the new drivers. I get there. Well, we're going to have you work in the office. Okay, sure. That's how I met my girlfriend, now my wife. So when I went back to South Carolina, it was like, okay, we're still in touch. We're long distance, but I'll come back to Alaska rather than stay here in South Carolina. There's one side of me that's like, oh, I sort of wish I hadn't, but that was 2008. And that's when I remember one morning, Joe, do you hear what happened? No, what's going on? Stock markets crash in the 2008 recession. And it was like, it was one county in South Carolina that had a 25% unemployment. Now, Alaska is unique because unfortunately, the way they work with the oil prices, it seems when the country's hurting with like a recession, Alaska, when the prices of oil go up, they're doing great. So it was like, well, I'm going to go back to Alaska, few years there, did some work, stayed with my girlfriend at the time. Then she went to London 2011 to 2012 for the London School of Economics. I left Fairbanks. I was like, you know, Fairbanks, cool little town, but when it's 50 below and you're all alone and it's dark, I'm going to see my books in Anchorage. It's warmer, at least by 30 degrees. Stayed there for a while. Then my girlfriend came back lived in Alaska for a while, but then, unfortunately, as the country was doing better rebounding, Alaska was hurting. Oil prices got so low. state of Alaska started doing layoffs. We were impacted by that, so it was like, well, let's go to a state that has their act together, and Oregon was on that list. My wife got a job in Oregon, so we did the drive from Anchorage, Alaska, all the way down to Oregon. That was the second time I've done that drive. The first time was Nevada to Alaska with my good friend. So I told her, it's like, okay, we'll get, make this move to Oregon, but I'm never moving back to Alaska. Mm -mm, no, I'm not going to do that drive a third time. I know my wife done it a couple of times with her family, Alaska, I believe down to South Dakota. But it was like, I'm not going to drive a U-Haul to Alaska with our dog and everything we could fit in here and our little car in a trailer. But yeah, we got to Oregon. She's working with the state, happy with her job. For the longest time, I was just unemployed because I had one interview, March 2020, and I remember I go in there, the lady's wearing a mask. I'm thinking, oh, this is that new virus or whatever going on. And then I remember to interview the person, normally I would shake your hand, but there's this coronavirus going around, not going to, that's all right. Later on, I walked Kiska, got my cell phone, I get back home and I open myself up and it's like, what is going on? The NBA season's called off. All these, everything changed. And I was then unemployed for 16 months because nobody was hiring. And like, well, maybe I could start a YouTube channel. And the rest is history from there. Well, that's the perfect segue because obviously I want to transition into uh, where, I, where I know you from, obviously, in the Grid Network. Um, but I, I am a little curious how the grid journey got started because obviously, like you mentioned, you started uh, the grid network um, right as the pandemic was beginning to uh, unfold and um, dealing with that, with your unemployment situation, and everything. When we talk about the history of the grid ranking, however, which is a metric that we use to kind of find a way to compare drivers and in the case of MotoGP, I guess, riders in terms of different motorsports disciplines, you have a history tracing it back to 2017. So was that something that you'd started a few years earlier, and then you built the grid network out of that foundation. How did the grid ranking get started? The grid ranking got started because I remember it was, I believe, 2015 when Kyle Busch broke his leg at Daytona, missed a bunch of races, and there was this Yahoo article. And I normally don't read Yahoo News or anything. I think it was just somewhere, a random ad, and it was like, Kyle Busch in NASCAR stands if it used F1 stands. So I clicked on it and it read that, you know, where Kyle Busch had to get in that top 30 in points despite having a win already. It was like, okay, if they used the F1 system, which just scores the top 10, you would easily be within the top 30 in points. 
And I started thinking, huh, that's interesting. So I started following that. Then I started thinking more, well, what if every series that I follow, so like IndyCar has a different, like I believe it's 50 points for a win, and then there's some bonus points. What if they use the F1 system? And then other series. Then I started thinking, what if you could compare them? Well, you really can't because NASCAR has like 36 races on the time F1 had 16 races. So NASCAR driver could finish fifth place, never win a race, and he'll outscore everybody. So I then got in touch with one friend, Joshua in Alaska, and it's like, I'm thinking of this idea of a metric to score because I want to see, because there's always that debate, who's the best driver in the world? And I always feel there's sort of a bias that, oh, it has to be somebody from Formula One. They're the, each car is made by the team. There's very few regulations, very few spec parts compared to NASCAR, IndyCar. But it's like, well, really? We know there's drivers out there because they have the financial backing. And we know there's people like Valentino Rossi who dominated MotoGP at that time. What if there was a way we could find out? Because Valentino Rossi was even one time rumored to join F1 way long ago, but it just seemed like folks didn't seem that interested in having somebody from MotoGP come over to F1. So we created this grid ranking, and I remember 2016, we just privately were seeing how it all works, and I was like, okay, this is making some tweaks here and there. And still annually, we had to tweak stuff just because field size changed, schedule lengths change. Depending on how the series go, you see some series like, for example, Supercars, Shane Van Gisbergen just dominated 2022. So now it's like whoever wins that isn't Shane Van Gisbergen is going to get more points. But then you got something like NASCAR, which is chaotic race where anybody could win. You don't really know who's the favorite. Because so much could happen and change. So 2017, we went public with the grid ranking. And I remember that's how I met Matt White. And then Matt White convinced me, we should add World Rally Championship. And I was thinking, well, how do we do that? And so we got talking. We made a system work. So then the following year, we included World Rally Championship. And then 2018, 2019. I remember 2019, there was this one channel on YouTube, World Racing Media. And I wrote to them like, hey, I do the grid ranking. If you ever want me on a program, I'd be happy to explain it. And I was on a couple of their shows. And I was, kept thinking like, oh, I'd like to do more of that beyond the air talking about. Because the way I envisioned the grid ranking is similar to how I especially was hooked on college football when I was in college. Especially in South Carolina, their SEC. Every Saturday, if there was a football game, we were at the stadium. And it was always so entertaining to be following like when... Michigan lost to Appalachian State. I'll never forget that day. And we were just all, okay, where can we see this game? It's on the Big Ten. I think this will be fun if we had something for motorsports where you had a ranking similar. And it's like, wait a minute, there's going to be an upset in Formula One. I want to see this F1 race. Oh, there's going to be a big IndyCar race. I got to check that out. Because I know there's fans like me that loves all sorts of motorsports. But to fans that are just, I'm into NASCAR. There's room to, I think, expand to other disciplines because there's still a lot of great racing. And that's something I felt like the grid has that potential. And it's like, well, I'd like to get more airtime. Well, then when that pandemic hit in 2020, I remember World Racing Media, they asked me if I could do a couple of videos just to be like, Joe here, Atlanta has been canceled. This race is canceled. We don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. And then I kept thinking, what if I did my own YouTube channel? Because growing up, I really loved RPM Tonight, hosted by John Kernan. Fifth grade, I can remember, I'll run from my school bus stop, drop me off, go home, because I didn't want to miss a single minute that show. I'll miss five or six minutes, the top story. I watched that show religiously, and I was so sad when they went off the air because they didn't have the media rights for NASCAR when they went with Fox and NBC then. So I thought, well, if I do a YouTube channel, I want something similar to RPM Tonight, because I feel that is missing in motorsports media today and i remember okay i asked matt if i was to do a youtube channel will you be interested in helping me out yeah but the hard part is the time zones well i know one person that i follow on twitter a lot kobe lambeth he seems like somebody that maybe we can make this work and a couple times no not interested really but then really when the pandemic is like well i'll ask this third time but if he says no that's it Okay, why not? And so we went on the air with our first episode of RPM Tonight. And then it was like, okay, 
let's just keep doing this because it'll get our names out there and you know it's something to do along with my job search because literally nobody was i was struggling trying to find jobs and the federal government had their big unemployment bonus for the pandemic so it was like well i'm still applying but can't find anything so i was just putting a lot of time and effort into the grid network because i thought well maybe it could i see if other youtubers are saying oh you're making money off this maybe we can but it just been growing at a point where it's like, okay, this is a lot of fun. We're getting more people involved. And, you know, now here we are, 2023, got a couple of exciting additions to the team. We've got some writers. I really am excited. The potential, and for me, the big exciting thing is just seeing folks gain the opportunity that they want to fit in the door in motorsports. It's something I would have never thought would have been possible, but it's just so really cool to see People are seeing this as an opportunity to get their foot in the door, build up an audience, and it's just a lot of fun. It's almost like a mentoring role in that aspect where it wasn't my intention, but it really grew to where the great network is now. I know Kobe's doing a great job with everything, Matt White, and we just got a great team and just overall a lot of fun. And then the great ranking just been growing each and every year, the endurance performance index, because we know um, sports car racing is going to be huge, especially with hyperclass. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It just amazed me still when I look back. It's like, what started in 2016 was just a person in Alaska. Like, huh, this might be fun. And it's just really blossomed. And I've been lucky, too, because moving here to Portland and then, hey, IndyCar is coming back out of Japan. And, oh, that's great news. Here comes NASCAR. That's even better news. Formula E. Are you kidding me? This is What's next? There's rumors World Rally Championships looking for an American site. There's a rally race in Oregon. That would be crazy, but I would be super excited that ever occurred. But it's been a lot of fun, and I've always told folks, you know, if this is something where you get your foot in the door and then, Joe, bigger and better opportunity. Nice knowing you. I'm happy for you. That's, I think, really something I like not just in the grid network, but even where I manage as a city manager for my employees, I'm trying to help them. So that way we got a great finance director currently, really solid, not a whole lot of local government experience, but just teaching him the ropes. So that way, if, hey, you want to step up to a bigger city as a finance director or even a small town city manager, I could help you get there and, you know, be that positive influence. I, I feel really good about that. And I think that's something I wish more supervisors and bosses will live by that motto you know it reminds me i think brock beard told me the same thing when uh i started writing for him a couple of years ago um you know it's another instance of course brock's been doing it for a little bit longer um but you know he kind of sees himself as not much unlike the teams that he covers uh you know towards the back of the field but lacks the sponsorship and the funding of some of the top teams um you know because he's had to fight for credentials a couple of times i think the only time he's really been denied was uh watkins Glen, and i think that might have had something to do with the jd mcduffie book coming out out around the same time um but you know it's it's a bit of a battle you know compared to writing for a much bigger more established uh media outlet so he he's kind of seen it as the same way you know with having a couple of staff writers including myself now if it can be a place for us to and of course who knows where you know my own career is going to be a few years down the road but if this can be, you know, kind of a, a springboard to something uh, bigger and better down the road, um, then he he's all for that as well. So, you know, we'll see where uh, the growth of both of our outlets uh, ends up taking us over the next few years. Um, you know, I've always, I've, I've been hesitant to kind of, you know, compare between even just certain different eras in this sport, just because of how, you know, massively different technology is today compared to back then and how different the cars are. Um, you know, I think it's a lot tougher even to compare across different series and different disciplines, um, you know, because people like you were mentioning, they always say, you know, the greatest driver of all time or the greatest driver in the last X number of years has to be Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher because they raced in F1, but they didn't do a lot outside of F1. So maybe you go back to somebody like AJ Foyt or Mario Andretti who won a bunch of races in different disciplines. But, uh, it, you know, while, while I think sometimes we should just take a step back to you know, appreciate the greatness of everybody across all these different series. I do appreciate that we have some sort of metric here uh, where we can say, well, you know, if you had to make a comparison based on how dominant everybody is in their own respective series, um, you know, that, that we can do that. And we can also have a, a system where we maybe introduce 
somebody who comes to our channel through uh, one of the NASCAR shows or the NASCAR uh, conversations that we have, and then they stick around for the World Rally Championship, and maybe they pick that up. Um, I know we struggled a little bit last year because we tried to put the W Series in the grid ranking, and I think, you know, just with them using Formula 3 cars and being, you know, even, you know, kind of having a different mission than compared to, you know, what, what Formula 1 is, obviously, you know, sometimes, you know, and especially with Jamie Chadwick dominating the season, I think it, it kind of gets kind of difficult to uh, rank those drivers in, in the same metric here. Um, you know, I, I think of drivers like Camden Murphy, who does some starts in the truck series, is also a Monster Jam competitor. And I don't I don't know if there's any way we could try to get Monster Jam on the grid ranking, just because I know that's so radically different. But I know you also uh, talk NHRA a lot of times on the women in motorsports shows. So, you know, it's as as much as like I said, you know, I, I don't love to compare and, and try to rank drivers in, in different disciplines against one another. I, I think it is nice to have a place through the grid network where we can talk about all these different series, just because motorsports is such a, a vast world in terms of the different disciplines and different talents that we see and the different skill sets that it takes. And I think that's part of what makes guys like AJ Boyd and Mario Andretti uh, and, and several others that have done both. Uh, so legendary, um, you know, it's why guys like Fernando Alonso and Jimmy Johnson are uh, so appreciated when they do step outside their comfort zones and try uh, slightly different disciplines. Um, you know, I think fans love to see that and it brings kind of the, the rest of the motorsports world together. And I think that can be a great thing. It is. I mean, that was the thing I grew up ESPN, you'll see what essentially was like Formula One coverage, IndyCar coverage, NASCAR coverage. That felt it really changed after 2000 when Formula One. I believe went to like Fox Sports Northwest because we were in the Northwest area. Of course, Fox, NBC got NASCAR. Then IndyCar went to the Speed Channel. And I remember thinking, oh, Speed Channel could be the one collective channel for everything. And it sort of was. That's how I got introduced to MotoGP World Rally Championship through Speed Vision Speed Channel. And I was just hooked on those. I mean, I love MotoGP, the competition. Well, lately, Ducati's been dominating, but some great competition overall. Great, exciting racing, World Rally Championship, what those drivers are doing on the mixed conditions, a lot of fun. And NHRA, I know it's always hard for broadcasters to find to show them because it's a longer event. Sort of more like, I guess, if you were to compare sports like where NASCAR is almost like hockey, NHRA is almost like the long marathon ball game because it's an all-day event. And I just love all sorts of more sports. I Even growing up, when Monster Trucks was starting to become a new thing, and it was on ESPN, you had the TNT Motorsports, Renegade Challenge, Bigfoot, all those trucks. That got me hooked, but then one of the things that's really interesting, I tell folks to check it out, is how Monster Trucks, and they had more promoters, different promoters, and now it's to the point where you don't really have a true motorsport champion in Monster Trucks. You do have like the Monster Jam world champion, the other promoter will have their own. And it's really changed compared to NASCAR, which was celebrated the 75th year. They've got a bunch of different promoters that all agree on one banner, NASCAR. And it's worked out really well. So it's something always interesting with about motorsports that I just get hooked on. I know there's been a couple monster truck shows around the area. When they come to Alaska, they're always fun to check out. Even just the county, the local dirt tracks are always fun and one thing that made me feel good about the grid ranking was recently, I believe it was 2021, Autosport released their 50 best drivers of 2021. And I was just shocked. And I saw a lot of people were shocked too that they had essentially three winless Formula One drivers, Lando Norris, Pierre Gasly, and I believe Charles Leclerc that year, ahead of Kyle Larson, who had 10 Sprint Cup wins. I was thinking, that's the F1 bias. Yeah, they're driving the most advanced system, but they didn't get a win, and Kyle Larson just won 10 races in NASCAR. Very competitive series. Those three did not have good cars to compete for a win. Yes, Kyle Larson was Hendrick Motorsports, but you still got your teammates. You got Gibbs. All this competition. What was even worse, Shane Van Gisbergen was like 19th or 20th, and I saw one person then tag grid ranking. I was like, hey, you guys check out the grid ranking, because just how it should look like. And Kyle Larson was third on our grid ranking that year. Van Gisbergen second. 
OJ was too good that year. But um, yeah, it's something where that debate of who's the best driver in the world is always going to go around. But I feel we got a good system where people could really look at it and it's like, yeah, these are some of the best drivers from around the world that year in their specific series and how they stack up with everybody. Yeah, well, I think it, if you're going to try to make the comparison, at least it's good to have an actual metric rather than just, you know, maybe not even, maybe unknowingly, you know, letting your F1 bias in there in the case of that autosport uh, ranking and, you know, just kind of trying to eyeball it and say, well, you know, this driver probably belongs here and this person uh, maybe is a little bit too low, but there's so many other greats that we have to put up here. If you at least have a system that you're sticking to, uh, I think it's it's worked out well for us. And I think maybe, um, you know, Autosport could take a page out of our book there if they try to, you know, put a ranking together again. Not saying they have to copy the exact metric that we use, but um, if, if they can come up with a system or, or a, a, a points format of some sort that allows them to rank it objectively based on a certain measure uh, that might, you know, at least give fans a better understanding of how they put their list together. It's something where I think it is really great to see when fans are discussing and engaging about the different disciplines. Grid ranking could easily be that one area where people look at it and hopefully get invested. Because I love, like I said, with the college football comparison, we know we got the grid ranking week one coming out. Looks like there's going to be three folks contending for that with Verstappen, Erickson, and Pekka Banyaya, which everyone's number one. The following week, if they're having an off-race weekend, I think it will be really exciting to fans, hey, Verstappen's not going to win this race. He might lose a grid ranking lead. Let's tune in and watch that race. Or there's going to be a major upset potentially in this NASCAR race. Let's change that. Just that kind of excitement. I remember that was one of the things I loved about college football at the time was just switching from, okay, normally I wouldn't care about the Pac West, Pac-10, Oh, but Oregon Ducks are going to lose and be upset because that year it seemed like every number one and number two seed lost at some point. So it's a lot of fun and brings excitement to the more sports community, I feel. So we can touch on this, which you again, you uh, brought up a little bit earlier, and then we can wrap it up here. But uh, I know I was fortunate enough. I got the chance to join you out at Portland last year, uh, you know, kind of doing my own version of the double or West coast swing or whatever, you know, joining you in Portland and uh, going down to Sonoma to join Brock and last car. Uh, but like you mentioned, you, you've been out to Portland the year before to cover the IndyCar race and went back with me to cover uh, the Xfinity race. And of course, Arca West has come out there as well. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, Formula E's even coming over to Portland this year. That's the U S race. That's replacing a uh, race that I got to go to the inaugural year in New York city. Um, what have been some of your favorite moments from getting to, you know, take this from, what you said, you know, just a, a guy in Alaska, you know, coming up with this metric to being, you know, credentialed on site, uh, covering these series that you've been watching for so many years. Meeting the people that make the series work and these events happen has been really great. I know the folks that I've met over at Portland through IndyCar, Green Savory, even NASCAR when they came out, they just being around them and, you know, learning about what they do, their passion for the sport. And just who they are, too, I think that's something where being so far remote in Alaska, where the closest race growing up was always the Grand Prix of Portland, the IndyCar race. And I remember growing up thinking, someday we should go to this, Mom and Dad. It's, yeah, it's a four-hour flight and, you know, it's a ways to go, but it'll be so much fun. So to go there, see it, experience it, it was just something where it's like, this is a lot of fun just talking with these folks and just seeing like, oh, they want to know what I do, how the grid ranking work. I know there was two gentlemen, I believe, with Ford we talked to that were like, what's this grid ranking? We're interested in it. it that's been a lot of fun. And some of my favorite moments have just been every time driving up to that racetrack, it just gets me so excited and amped up. Like, this is really another racetrack I'm always so excited for. And then reporting, working, just running around. I know my wife, she enjoys doing everything with me, thankfully, because she's been a tremendous help. And just all the action, bringing it to everyone, sharing it with everyone, is really exciting when you see the comments. Like, you know, hey, I'm at the track. Come by, say hi. I'm a corner worker. And get to meet them, learn about them, what they do and everything. Meeting the drivers, of course, that's always something. Sharing that experience with the fans as well, too. It's just been thrilling. And 
the one moment I felt like it was, the one time I've been starstruck so far. It was our second day, I believe, at Portland International Raceway. And the sun was set in front of us. It was a clear day. This is during the IndyCar race. And I'm carrying all the equipment, the camera, the tripod. My wife had a backpack. And we're going to the media trailer, which you remember crossing the bridge heading towards the media trail by the scoring stand. And there's a sunset in front of us and almost like this glow around him. Marion Reddy just walking by, sees us. I wave at him. He waves back, does a little nod and smile. And I'm just, that was the one time I was like, oh my God, that's Mario and Reddy. But I got all this stuff packed up. I can't just be like, quick interview. <laughs> but that was just the one time. I just felt like it was almost surreal. And my wife was like, is that Mario and Reddy? Yeah, that is Mario and Reddy. So it's been a lot of fun. And then the NASCAR race, that was so much fun, even though it rained a ton. But now we got the experience of how do you handle a rain race? Well, we'll tell you firsthand with Portland. And what a great crowd to show up for dad. Folks just talking as we were going in and out the photographer areas. Like, who are you with? Grid Network. Oh, where are you from? Right here in Portland. Oh, so that was a lot of fun. Hopefully this time, it won't be that wet of a race weekend in Portland because I know we were just drenched. And now with formerly E coming, it's the same folks, Green Safe Re. So looking forward to seeing everyone there because they've just been really fun to work with. Very helpful, not just for myself, but I know all the media folks, they have questions that are there to help out. And I think that's the big thing. That's really a lot of fun is just seeing that everybody's there because they love this sport, whether it's IndyCar, NASCAR, or just in general motorsports. And if you're there and you're willing to put in the work and the hours, they'll help you. If They'll tell you like, hey, I remember that first year, this one person came up from us from Indy Lights like, hey, we're going to have um, the pole sitter at second place after qualifying here if you want to interview them. Sure, that'd be great. That was David Malukas and Kyle Kirkwood. And that was such a wonderful opportunity to get to meet them, talk to them. Then the following year, they're both in IndyCar. So everyone's always trying to, you're looking for a story, someone seems to be always, hey, check out this story. I know we talked to Jesse Wuji when we were there. Looking forward to when they come back again. Now that we know how NASCAR operates differently from IndyCar, Formula E, that's going to be really interesting, an FIA event. I don't know how the paddock layout is going to look, but I know we're going to be ready with everything so we could bring it to all our viewers and just have a good time, but at the same time, bring all the stories for everyone to enjoy and feel like they're closer to the action because it's just been a blast. And just the thought that, you know, from Alaska, just being, you know, okay, I'm driving NR 2003 and then, you know, working at Alaska Raceway Park where big thanks to Michelle there. They gave me the opportunity to be the track announcer, interview driver. So when Ken Schrader came up for a race, I got to interview him. Jordan Anderson came up on an off weekend for the trucks to race late models. So really just, if anybody's looking to get into, you know, motorsports journalists, especially on television cameras or YouTube, your local short track could be the best start because if they need somebody, even if it's just an announcer, you get those microphone skills, you get the feedback to learn to make yourself better. And really, if it wasn't for Alaska Raceway Park, I would have never thought about starting up with a YouTube channel. You know, I... I... You know, can think back to being out there uh, with you at Portland and, uh, you know, what you're saying about getting starstruck with uh, Mario and everything, um, you know, because obviously I have to remain neutral uh, when I'm on the air. And I'd like to think I do a pretty good job of that. But I think most people know if they follow my channel, follow me on social media, they know that I grew up a big AJ Allmendinger fan uh, for a number of reasons. And, um, you know, like when when after the Arca West race, we went over to interview uh, Bridget Burgess and, you know, got to talk to a couple other drivers that weekend there. Um, you know, I can't really say I, I got super starstruck or everything. You know, it was cool to be there and, uh, you know, be talking to them and interviewing them. Um, but, you know, after AJ won that race, I was I was sitting there thinking in the media center, like, you know, if, if AJ comes out, he wins the first race that I go to as part of like credential media. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to ask him a question, but I was too starstruck or, uh, you know, it, just living in the moment to to think of anything, uh, you know, that I would really regret that. So it's it's finding that balance. Um you know, that, that was an interesting uh, sort of experience for me because, you know, obviously I'm there to be a professional and uh, do the job that uh, I'm there to do. But at the same time, you know, got a decade and a half of memories of rooting for this guy and all that he had been through in his career. And, 
you know, being there for a very small part of, of a journey of a couple of, uh, you know, Xfinity seasons that were really strong for him that have really been, a, you know, what, what's built this career revival for him now being back in the cup series uh, to be there for that was, was a very cool experience. And I'm hoping that uh, works out that I'll, I'll get to be back out with you again uh, in just a couple of months. I guess it's going to be here before we know it, uh, but that NASCAR is back uh, for, for that weekend at the beginning of June. So, Looking forward to seeing where we can uh, take this project uh, that we've had here. I think the future, like you were saying, is very bright. It's very bright, and it's just been a lot of fun. Portland International Raceway seems like they're doing better now than they were even before the pandemic. Overall, motorsports-wise, I feel there's a lot of positive energy. People are excited about the return of all the motorsports. What we're seeing with IMSA, WEC, and the hypercar, a lot of excitement there, and I just think this is a going to be a fun time. I know we keep saying it's the golden era of sports car racing coming up. I think that's going to be an exciting era of motorsports all around because you're seeing a lot of motorsports from Formula 1, NASCAR. They want to improve the racing through the car, whether it's ground effect, downforce, salary caps, wind tone. They know, they see there is a side of fans that want that excitement. Now, of course, that opens a new can of worms when it comes to the integrity of the sport and everything, but overall, I feel it's an exciting period for motorsports fans across the board and hopefully we'll see a lot more good news. I know it's sad to see some tracks, the short tracks are always battling when there's a growing city, but hopefully there's always a healthy amount of short tracks across the United States, go-karting tracks to Europe and opportunities. Cause I, even though I college football was fun in college, my heart was still in motorsports. It was just like, I grew up watching this earliest oh, memories watching it when I was like four or five years old with my dad. It's just something where I like sharing the passion. I know we're going to have our niece come in to college here in the area. She wants to go to her first, she says NASCAR race. And I told her plenty of rates and you're going to be able to attend if you got the time. So it's one of the best sports and anybody could race because car doesn't know who you are, gender or anything. If you, you got the talent, you could drive, you could win. Yeah, you know, I think when whenever you're scrolling through social media, it's very easy to get caught up in the negatives and everything, like you were mentioning with the short tracks battling the booming real estate markets, if you will. Um, I think it, if you look a little bit deeper uh, in the surface level, I think there's a lot of really positive things going on in the works. I'm really excited to see uh, what the future holds for a whole number of different series that we cover here at the Grid Network. And I think it's, it's going to be exciting as we continue to grow right alongside it. Uh, to be a part of that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what we can do there. Uh, Joe, you know, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening. I know, um, you know, it's not quite as big of a time zone gap as it is with uh, Matt and Josh over in the UK. Uh, I know you just got off work uh, not too long ago. It's getting a little bit later here for me on the East Coast, but I appreciate you uh, spending uh, the last hour or so with me here. And, um, you know, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening.